tonight we're going to be reading from 3 John. The Elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gives me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the, ch they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way <clears throat> in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does not who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have so much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Well, good evening, everyone. It's, um Great to be with you tonight. I'm just going to um, move this so that it's uh, nice and close to my mouth. So if it does rain more, we can uh, have the best chance of hearing. You want to adjust that, Liam? Happy with that? All right. Um, it's raining. It's noisy. It's hot. It's humid. It's the end of the day. We've got lots of things working against us, don't we? But let's uh, let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to reflect on his word, which is really important. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Father, it is life to us. It is a light to our, our path. Father, we ask that you give us um, the ability to listen, to think, to learn. Father, challenge us, encourage us as we need it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, fellow followers of Christ, we, we know that we ought to encourage one another to, to keep following Christ. We kind of know that's, that's part of what the deal is. That's what we're meant to do. One of the reasons we come to church is in order to encourage others. Uh, the scriptures call us to do that. So Hebrews 10.24, which will be familiar words to many of you, I'm sure, says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Where we come to church to encourage one another and sometimes just being present, just your presence, is an encouragement. As being here at church says to those around you, following Jesus matters to me, and you following Jesus together with me, that matters to me. So just turning up can be an encouragement. Um, but of course, we can, uh, we can encourage one another more actively by talking to one another and, and uh, more directly asking each other how we're going. How we're going in following Christ. Now one shorthand way... Uh, for doing that is to ask, 
How's your walk? How's your walk with Jesus going? Has anyone ever asked you, how's your walk? Show of hands, yeah, yeah, some people have. It's kind of a, a funny sort of shorthand phrase. I mean, if first time you hear it, you might think, what do you, what do you mean, how's my walk? Have I, have I got a limp or something? Or, um, but it, it's a good sort of shorthand way of saying, how are you going following Jesus? It might seem a bit obscure, but actually walking is a metaphor for, for living life. And it's a common one in the Scriptures. So in uh, John 8, verse 12, oops, am I driving? I, I, I got it. Here we go. John 8, verse 12, says, uh, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, well, John writes in uh, 1 John 1, 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Or Paul says in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, etc. A few verses on in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or over in Ephesians 5, last one, God's, uh, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. So how you walk is a way of talking about how you're living out your life as a follower of Christ. So how's your walk going? I wonder how you'd answer that question if uh, someone asked you that over supper later on tonight. It's a very open-ended question. And it's a pretty good one because it is open-ended. I mean, maybe you'd reflect on, I know, your Bible reading and prayer habits and how that's going, or, or your personal godliness, or maybe situations in life that you're facing and how you're navigating that as a follower of Jesus, or, or things that you've been challenged by or encouraged by from God's Word. There's many different aspects to our walk, to how we move through life. Now, the Apostle John, in this brief little letter recorded in our Bibles as 3 John, he's concerned with walking in the truth. And in particular, he's concerned that the, the recipient of his letter, that he walks in the truth and continues to walk in the truth. So as we think about our own walk, well, are we walking in the truth? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, these are 14 verses of this little book, tucked away towards the end of the New Testament, has some really important things to teach us, to, keep, to help us to keep walking in the truth. Uh, in one sense, it's a, it's a pretty simple message of encouragement um, to, uh, to continue walking, to, to keep walking in the truth. Uh, so verse 1, we have the elder, who's, who's the Apostle John, and he writes to his dear friend Gaius, uh, literally, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, he says. Uh, now, we, um, we discover in the New Testament there's about uh, four guys called Gaius, four, four different people, um, and it's hard to pin down, you know, is it one of those guys that, that John's writing to here? We, we don't really know. Um, it's made harder by the fact that Gaius was a, was a very popular name in New Testament times, and um, so we can't really know who this Gaius is that, that John's writing to outside of of what's said here, which of course means it doesn't really matter who he was. Um, 
If it did, God's word would tell us. Um, But John writes to Gaius, to this guy who four times he refers to as dear friend or or literally beloved. Notice there in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 5, and in verse 11. And in verse 4 there, John refers to him as one of of his own children. He's he's so very dear to John. John wants him to to go well in his walk. And so in verse 2, he prays for that. He says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Gaius' soul is going well, thanks to the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus that, that Gaius knows and, and trusts. And John prays that, well, that his health and well-being may also go well. Okay, there's a good little lesson here about prayer. Uh, it's good to pray that, uh, that others may enjoy good health and that things may go well for them in life. But this is on top of an even more important thing to pray, and that is that for their spiritual life, for their, their soul, their relationship with God, that, that that would go well. And in Gaius's case, his soul it is going well, says John. How do we know that? Well, because verse 3 tells us that he's faithful to the truth and continues to walk in it. Uh, the NIV translation um, actually drops the word for or because at the start of verse 3, which, um, which connects it back to verse 2. Uh, if you've got an ESV, you'll see that the word for is there. So John knows that Gaius' soul is going well because verse 3, some believers have come and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. So Gaius is faithful to the truth. He's trusting the gospel of Jesus. He's continuing to walk in it. That is, his trust in the truth is leading to action, to to, to walking, so to speak, to, to an outworking of the truth. Being a Christian is not a a static thing. It's not just a kind of theoretical, intellectual position to hold with no bearing on on how you live your life. No, it is a truth that you you walk in, that, that shapes what you value, that shapes what you do, that shapes how you respond to others, shapes decisions that you make. It's a truth that you, that you walk in. And the fact that, that Gaius and, and others known to John are, are walking in the truth, that is a matter of, of enormous joy. John says, verse 3, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. And verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So John delights in the the progress of his spiritual children and he he writes to encourage Gaius to continue in his walk. But what exactly is this walking in the truth? As I've said, walking is a kind of all-encompassing metaphor for, for the life of a follower of Jesus. But there's one particular thing here that John highlights and that is that Gaius is loving strangers what do I mean? Well, look there at verse 5. Oops, sorry, I missed, missed one there. Verse 5, he says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. 
we can work out here is it seems that some Christian brothers and sisters who were unknown to Gaius, they're strangers to him, they've come to his church and he's welcomed them. He's loved them. He's, he's shown them real hospitality. And, they, and these, the people have shared that with the church. And, and so John has heard about this and he writes to commend Gaius for his faithfulness in doing this. And he writes to encourage him to, to keep going, to continue to be hospitable. So halfway through verse 6, he says, Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. A um, few more details we can glean here. These um, brothers and sisters, um, they weren't just kind of fellow Christians having a travelling holiday. They, uh, it says they went out for the sake of the name. That is, they were travelling missionaries. Now, they, they rightly didn't receive help from, from pagans, from, from non-Christians. They were dependent on the support of fellow Christians, such as Gaius. And so John says, verse 8, we ought therefore to show hospitality or support to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Now, there's a few lessons here for us in our walk. Uh, firstly, this, this passage highlights the importance of being hospitable. Being hospitable is an aspect of the Christian life that I think is quite countercultural, actually. I think it's increasingly so. As, as our culture is increasingly individualistic and, and sort of increasingly focused on the self, and you know, we live in our little boxes with minimal contact with people around us, and, and yet as followers of Jesus, we're called upon to be hospitable. What does that mean? What does it mean to be hospitable? Well, it doesn't mean just having friends over for a, a fun hangout. I mean, that's often how we think of hospitality, so, you know, inviting friends over and having some fun together. Uh, don't get me wrong, that's a, a good and valuable thing to do. I'm, I'm, I'm very keen for us uh, as a church to have a culture and a practice of inviting one another into our homes and enjoying time together over food and relationship and to share life together. That, that's good. That's a good and right thing to do. But biblical hospitality goes beyond that. It's, it's loving strangers, these people were, were strangers to Gaius, and he loved them. In fact, the Greek word for stranger is, here's a little Greek lesson, xenos, from which we get the word xenophobia, a fear of strangers or foreigners or people who are different to me. It's a fancy word for racism. Um, we're not to, to fear strangers, we're to love strangers. In fact, the Greek word for hospitality is Philoxenia, or literally a love, philo, of strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's loving strangers. And the Scriptures repeatedly call us to do this, to, to be hospitable. So here's a few passages. Romans 13, sorry, 12, verse 13 says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Or 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice there, I think this kind of proves the point. If, I mean, if, if hospitality amounted to having friends over for a fun hangout, I don't think we'd need to be told to do it without grumbling. Uh, being hospitable is an important part 
of walking in the truth. Second lesson for our walk. This teaches that it's actually inappropriate to expect pagans or non-Christians to support Christian mission. It might be that the non-Christian people value some aspects of Christian activity and mission and, and so may give money towards it, but we shouldn't expect that they would. Instead, the, the flip side is that actually that's the responsibility for supporting... The, 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 that's the responsibility that falls to us. We are responsible for supporting Christian mission. I'll give you an example of that. Um, CMS, Church Missionary Society, uh, Miriam Bradshaw, our... Um, our mission partner in Spain, Miriam won't be supported by non-Christian, non-Christian. She relies on people like you and me to support her. And as we support her, we become co-workers together with her, working together, as it says here, working together for the truth. I wonder if we can think of doing that as kind of a, I don't know, an optional extra. An add-on that, you know, you can, nice thing to do, but take it or leave it. Notice John says, verse 8, we ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people. We ought to support such people. This, this is an important aspect of walking in the truth, that we work together for the truth. So, John wrote to Gaius to commend him to encourage him in his walking in the truth, as expressed in his hospitality to these brothers and sisters. And he, and he urges Gaius to keep going, to send them on their way in a manner that honours God. Now, John is perhaps uh, particularly concerned to encourage Gaius because he knows of, of other influences that will be pushing Gaius in a different direction. Enter stage right, Diotrephes. Uh, if Gaius is a lover of strangers, Diotrephes is a lover of self. So verse 9, he says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So we can work out here that, um, that John has, has written to the church, um, possibly he's written a, a word of encouragement uh, to welcome the, the travelling missionaries, uh, we don't know exactly what he's written because, well, we don't have John's letter. Maybe uh, Diotrephes destroyed it, but that's kind of speculation. What we are told is that Diotrephes did not welcome or receive or acknowledge John and his companions. Diotrephes loved to be first. Uh, it sounds like he's, in, he's probably in a position of leadership uh, or influence in the church, and he has a, a rather overinflated view of his own importance, such that he rejects the authority of the Apostle John. And so John says in verse 10, he says, So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. What we've got here is a pretty ugly situation. Uh, Diotrephes has rejected John, despite John's authority as an apostle of Jesus. I mean, John had been commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself. Diotrephes has rejected John. He's spreading uh, malicious nonsense about him. He's refusing to welcome other believers, pre presumably the same ones that Gaius is welcoming. And Diotrephes goes the extra step of actually stopping anyone else from doing that or putting them out of the church if they do welcome others. 
This is one power-hungry, narcissistic bully. Of course, churches today never have such problems, do they? Uh, Wait, hang on. If only that was the case. Uh, Sadly, it it is all too common that a church leader will will value their own position, their own influence, their own authority as, as more important than listening to others or even listening to the apostolic authority of the Scriptures. And rather clinging to their their own importance, their own office, being a lover of being first, that can sadly lead to all sorts of unloving behaviour, failing to welcome people, failing to care for them, even punishing people who just want to do what is right. I'd expect in a group um, this size that there'd be some people who know only too well, only too painfully uh, what this looks like. If you've had a church leader like Diotrephes, May we all be spared such a situation. But if we do encounter a Diotrephes, what should we do? What should be done? Well, they should be called on their behaviour. John intends to, to call attention to what he's doing, he says, verse 10, and to do that before the church. Uh, John writes this letter to Gaius to make sure that he knows what's going on. The darkness of sin and selfishness must be combated with the light of the truth and of transparency. It's not something to just kind of smooth over in the hope that things will get better and it'll go away. No, there is a time to actually call people's bad behaviour, to to bring the truth of a situation to light. That's never pleasant, that's never straightforward. It usually involves conflict, it usually involves misunderstanding and varying degrees of opposition. But it's important to call call things for what they are. John intends to do this regarding Diotrephes when he comes. But meanwhile, what's Gaius to do? Well, he's to press on. He's to walk in the truth. He's to imitate what is good. Look there at verse 11. John says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Notice the importance of of imitating others. I reckon in our world and culture, a culture that that prizes individuality and um, so-called authenticity, I think the idea of imitating someone else can be kind of looked down upon. You know, the message is be yourself. Be authentic. Don't just imitate others. Which kind of, of course, leads to the great irony of, um, of fashion where you have to express your individuality uh, by dressing in your own particular way and you end up just kind of end up looking exactly like everyone else around you. Um, our culture is pretty fickle, actually. But have you noticed that imitating is kind of, you know, it's sort of looked down upon. Imitating isn't a bad thing. In fact, imitating is, well, that's actually inevitable. We'll all imitate something or someone. The question is... What or who do we imitate? Now, the Scripture's calling us to be imitators. So, a um, number of places. So, here's one. In, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, he says, I urge you to imitate me. 
He says, For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me. He says to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow, my, follow our example. Well, the writer to the Hebrews says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We all will imitate someone or something john says to gaius do not imitate what is evil perhaps with the self-loving diotrophies in mind but imitate what is good do and walk in what is good and perhaps to to give gaius a a concrete example of what that looks like of of someone to imitate he says verse 12 uh, demetrius is well spoken of by everyone And even by the truth itself, we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. John says Demetrius' life, unlike Diotrephes, it's self-evidently in line with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. He's an example to follow, to imitate. Friends, one of the gifts that God gives us in our walk is others. Others who we can look to, who we can imitate which is, of course, is why it's, it's so important that we walk together. It's why at, at this time of year, as, as Oliver has said, it's, it's so important and valuable to commit to a growth group, to sign up, to get yourself into a group, to, to make that a priority and work out the other bits and pieces in life around that. A group where we can know one another better, where we can be encouraged by one another and can encourage one another, where we can be a model to each other, and have other models for, for, for us to imitate, as we help one another to imitate what is good. Being with one another, walking together, is so important, so valuable. As John says in the, uh, the closing verses of his letter, in verse 13, he said, I much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. Rather, verse 14, I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face walking the truth means walking and talking face to face with fellow brothers and sisters in christ there's no satisfactory substitute for for doing that face to face COVID gave us all sorts of great things like live streams and and uh, you know online ways of doing things and uh, really valuable things they still have a place you know if if people are sick and can't be together it's it's something at least to be able to watch a live stream but it's obviously no substitute for actually being together we need to walk together with one another so to try to sum up how's your walk most importantly are you walking in the truth have you found the truth that is in Jesus? I don't know that the heart of each and every one of you here tonight, it may be that for some of you, you haven't yet put your trust in the Lord Jesus. You haven't discovered the truth that's found in him. If that's, that's the case, I hope that you do. I pray that you do. I, I, I hope that you would read, encourage you to, to read Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, discover the truth that is found in Jesus and put your trust in him. Begin to walk with him. 
For those of us who have started that walk, I want to say, how's your walk? I hope you're encouraged by these few verses in 3 John to, to, to pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters, for their health and well-being, yes, but most of all for their spiritual well-being, for their souls. I hope you're encouraged to invest with joy in the, the continuing walk of your brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to strive to be truly hospitable to others, even to fellow Christian strangers. I hope you're encouraged to, to walk in the truth by working together for the truth as we support the work of Christian mission throughout our church and throughout the world. I hope you're encouraged to, to imitate what is good as you look to the good example of others and as you be a good example for others as we walk in the truth together. How are you going to do that? How can we continue to walk in the truth today, tomorrow, this week, this year? I reckon that's something to think about, something to ponder, to, to pray about and then to get walking. But let's pray now and ask God to help us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that is found in Jesus. We thank you for, the, for him who is the way, the truth and the life. Father, we thank you uh, for, for calling us to, to that truth and for calling us to walk in it. We ask that you'd help us to continue to walk in the truth, to live it out, to allow the truth of the gospel to shape how we live. Father, we confess that we don't always do that and uh, we do fail in various ways. Father, we ask that you would forgive us, that you'd call us back. We thank you for the mercy and grace that you show towards us in the Lord Jesus, that he has died to take the punishment for our sin. And Father, we thank you that we don't walk this journey alone, but that you are with, that you are with us and that you give us fellow travellers. Father, help us to walk together, to show true hospitality to each other, to pray for each other, to work together for the truth. And Father, please strengthen us to continue walking in the truth. Help us to keep doing that this day, this week, this year, and until the Lord Jesus returns. And we ask in his name. Amen.